So imagine a human T cell that's dividing every six hours. It needs to basically source three billion nucleotides in order to just copy its genome. And then it also needs the energy or the ATP needed to link those bases together as it makes a nascent DNA chain as they're dividing. So it's a huge challenge. And so this is why metabolism is so fascinating. Welcome to the Illumina Genomics Podcast, where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature. Here's your host, Paul Broman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 37 of the Genomics Podcast. Hey, I think you're really going to like today's show because we're going to talk about a relatively new field called immunometabolism. Immunometabolism is a field where scientists are looking for changes in intracellular metabolic pathways in immune cells. And they're trying to understand how these changes in metabolism can ultimately alter immune function. Understanding how immune cells get their energy and resources is certainly important for understanding how the immune system works. But the concept is also critically important given our renewed appreciation of the tumor microenvironment in cancer. So in addition to cancer cells and immune cells, tumors are composed of blood vessels, signaling molecules, and metabolites. And within this specialized tumor microenvironment, cancer cells and immune cells can compete for the same energy resources. And that battle could even have consequences for the tumor. So today I'm joined by Drs. Connie Krasick and Rusty Jones of the Van Andel Research Institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Connie is Principal Investigator in Immunology, Epigenetics, and Metabolism, and Rusty is Program Leader of the Metabolic and Nutritional Programming Group at the Van Andel. They joined me to talk about the impact of epigenetics and other omics technologies on the study of immunometabolism. Rusty and Connie, I, I really want to thank you for, you know, each of you spending a, a little bit of time talking about your scientific work and, you know, what you're doing here at the Van Andel Institute. We're going to talk about immunology and metabolism, and I think we'll even touch on cancer a little bit. But to set up that kind of scientific topic, could each of you spend, a, you know, just a few minutes talking about your backgrounds, how you got interested in studying uh, immunology and metabolism, and what is it that brought you together as scientific collaborators? Well, I grew up in uh, Saskatchewan in Canada, and in my first year of university, my professor recommended the book, The Double Helix by James Watson. And I was fascinated when I read this book. I didn't know what research was. I had no idea about transcription translation. It really changed how I viewed biology and what I wanted to do with my life. So I hightailed out of Saskatchewan and enrolled in the University of Guelph in a molecular biology and genetics program to really study genetics gene expression. And then from there, I enrolled in a PhD program at University of Toronto studying T-cell receptor signaling with Joseph Penninger. And that's where I met Rusty in graduate school. And uh, Rusty, how about you? I was studying immunology with Dr. Pamela Hashi um, at the University of Toronto, and my interest there really was in cell death pathways. So this was about the late 90s when we were just sort of unpackaging all the genetics of how cell death and survival was regulated, and I really applied this to the immune system. And about the time that I was finishing my PhD, there was this emerging concept of how 
uh, regulation of cellular metabolism could uh, influence these life or death decisions. And so that's when we moved to Philadelphia to UPenn, and I, I trained with Dr. Craig Thompson, who was at UPenn at the time. And, and really, he was on the forefront of thinking about cellular metabolism as an, a critical and uh, important pathway for cell survival and, and other things. And that's where I did my postdoctoral training in cancer biology. So I sort of shifted from immunology to cancer biology and learned about metabolism. And then when I established my lab in 2008, we've been studying the same questions ever since. I know a lot of our listeners, when they hear metabolism, they'll think about, you know, is it diet or uh, is it exercise, those kinds of things. But I think the metabolism that you, you are working on is more at a cellular level, metabolism. So can you kind of introduce that concept of metabolism? What, what is it? When we're studying metabolism, we're studying the pathways and the mechanisms in which these cells get enough energy and resources to grow and survive. And so in the concept of immunology, this is very important because we have these amazing immune cells that circulate through the body to act as sentinels to basically make sure that everything is okay. And when you identify a pathogen, suddenly your immune cells, specifically T cells, need to go from one clone that will recognize a pathogen to a million in a matter of days. Right. And you need that, that sort of building that overwhelming army to combat the pathogen, clear it so that you, you're healthy. And so that's a huge metabolic challenge, right? So if, if you think about it, this is basically building a house every six hours repeatedly. And yeah. so if you think about that from an energy standpoint, I would sort of go back to this concept that a cell like a T cell that's proliferating, if it's dividing, it needs to duplicate its genome. So we think of that as a base problem. So imagine a human T cell that's dividing every six hours. It needs to basically source three billion nucleotides in order to just copy its genome. And then it also needs the energy or the ATP needed to link those bases together as it makes a nascent DNA chain as they're dividing, as the cells are duplicating their DNA and then dividing. So it's a huge challenge. This is why I think it's a really fascinating question uh, on many levels. Rusty, you were, you were recently appointed as program lead for metabolic and nutritional programming at Van Andel. So why do you think the timing was right for the Institute to form this team right now? What are the things that you're trying to achieve in this program? Yeah, it's a great question. I think metabolism and nutritional science right now is at the cusp of a revolution. It's because we, we understand better from a scientific basis the genetics behind whole body metabolism or organismal metabolism and cellular metabolism. And we have great tools for studying this. So a lot of the tools we use are, are things that are applied in chemistry. So mass spectrometry, for example, being able to measure small molecule metabolites and great genetic tools now that we can do to manipulate pathways. So much like everything in biology now, technologies such as uh, RNAi immediate silencing or CRISPR, CRISPR gene yeah. editing, right, allows us to go in and assess specific pathways and their importance to the biology. And so since metabolism is such, is such a fundamental biological program that impacts every cell of the body and every cell in different ways, we can now have the tools to, to assess this. The whole idea of the program was to gather together a diverse set of scientists with overlapping strengths so that we can basically synergize and, and, and drive the science forward. And so if you think about the investigators that we've gathered here, we have experts in metabolism, immunology, epigenetics, uh, intergenerational studies, so how the health state of the parents affects the, the, the metabolism and the health state of offspring. Interesting. Right? So just amazing groups of scientists. And now we can combine that with an idea of scientifically studying 
cellular metabolism, organismal metabolism, nutrition, and how nutrition impacts this across a whole number of disease uh, states from uh, immune function, autoimmune disease, cancer, metabolic syndrome. Can you kind of unpack in a, in a sort of layman's way, like what is the immune system, who are the players, and what are the, the genes and the pathways that you know, are most critical from the point of view of metabolism? So the best way to describe the immune system is the collection of cells uh, that are of hematopoietic origin whose role is to detect and protect us against any kind of foreign organism or foreign particle. So immune cells detect, of course, bacteria and viruses and fungi infections, but also tumors, also allergens, also pollutants, toxins. And they communicate that information to the entire body to preserve the health of the organism. So maybe immunity in the case of an infection. The immune system can be divided generally into the innate and adaptive immune system. And what that essentially means is that the cells of the innate system will detect any bacteria, any virus, any kind of inflammation. They will detect the general identity of the pathogen. The adaptive immune system develops in response to specific pathogens or specific invaders. So this is where vaccines come in, mm -hmm. where you know, okay, this flu virus with this strain, we're going to mount a, a response specifically to that specific pathogen. And your T cells and your B cells then adapt and respond and expand to be specific for that pathogen. Unlike T cells, innate cells are often already primed to respond because their response is needed within minutes and, and within hours. Because I think the innate cells are already primed to respond, that has led to my interest in studying epigenetics because I think they're primed at the level of gene expression. And so how a cell primes itself is through epigenetic mechanisms. And metabolites, of course, are the ink of epigenetics. So you hear about readers and writers and erasers and that modulate the epigenome, but what they're really doing is putting metabolites on, on histones to modify the chromatin. Uh -huh. And so we're interested now in how amino metabolism intersects with epigenetics. So maybe since you mentioned epigenetics, this kind of approach where we're not interested in the sequence of genes, we're interested in understanding what those modifications are and interested in understanding how regulation of gene expression happens. Can you talk about that from the perspective of the work that you've been doing? Yeah, so the function of a cell comes down to the molecules it produces to communicate with the cells in the environment, the receptors it expresses, and the proteins and pathways that are functional in the cell. And, and the expression of all of those different proteins is regulated by gene expression. And as you said, epigenetics is the study of elements that regulate gene expression that are not encoded in the DNA. And so if you think then the entire phenotype and function of an immune cell is underpinned by epigenetic regulation. You were talking a little bit about the memory of the immune system. So if you're exposed to a foreign pathogen, your immune system sort of remembers that. Does epigenetics play any role in that kind of cellular memory? of foreign pathogen? That's a great question. There are a number of people studying that precisely because, you know, you have this memory. We classically think of epigenetics as heritable changes in gene expression. And so that actually is a key aspect of a memory T cell. It's, 
it's remembered the antigen it saw and it's remembered how it's supposed to respond to subsequent encounters. And so I think T cells are a good example and B cells of places in the immune system we can study heritable changes in gene expression. The interesting thing about innate cells is a lot of them don't divide after being activated. And so now we're not talking about heritable changes, but we're talking about functional changes. And that's a key aspect of my current research. We have a cell that doesn't divide, yet it undergoes this chromatin remodeling, or how much chromatin remodeling does it undergo? This is interesting from the standpoint of the function of these cells, but also from post-mitotic cells in general. How much does epigenetics influence the function of cells that are post-mitotic? Rusty, if I could come back to you for a minute and talk about this concept of immuno-oncology, which is not a new concept, but I think recently it's, it's become much more interesting because of the development of, of a therapeutic class of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors, which are inhibitors that can alter the immune system and by doing that can alter the, the course or the development of certain kinds of cancers. So this kind of understanding of how the immune system uses metabolism to respond to pathogens or even a cancer cell. Does this have any impact on our understanding of immuno-oncology more broadly? And is the work that you're doing, is it likely to lead us to new directions in potential therapies for cancer? Yeah, it's a great question. Absolutely. And so there's, there's this sort of subfield, if you want to think about it, of immunometabolism, which you can classify as metabolic immuno-oncology. Oh, wow. I didn't. Right. So... A niche of a niche, I guess. (laughs) It's coming to this concept of what are the changes within the tumor microenvironment that then impact immune cells from a metabolic perspective. The concept that exists right now is this concept of the tumor microenvironment being a very specific niche uh, with different metabolic characteristics. And what I mean by that, the typical description would be you would have a tumor cell that's growing and proliferating. So it needs resources such as glucose, sugar, amino acids and the like to increase the tumor mass, if you want to view it that way. Then you have infiltrating immune cells, right? So you have T cells, you have macrophages, you have uh, neutrophils, you have other immune cell types that are also coming in and require nutrients such as glucose for fueling their processes. So that intrinsically comes up with this concept of competition. Right. I was going to just say, yeah, everybody's fighting for the same resources. Everyone's fighting for the same resources. And that's uh, sort of the, the general concept. Let's just say very simply, you have T cells coming into a to kill tumor cells, and these are the cells in this tumor microenvironment. If you have uh, depletion of nutrients, so take glucose as the main fuel source for both T cells and, and tumor cells. If the tumors, the T cells can actually take up sugar at different rates, this could impact the availability of that nutrient for the, the cell type. So Erica Pierce had a great study a couple of years ago really sort of testing this concept of competition. If you have high glucose consuming tumors, they can actually influence the function of infiltrating T cells to the just via this just via metabolism. Metabolism, competition for glucose. That was sort of the first demonstration that sugar availability or glucose availability within the tumor microenvironment can impact this. I think in a general concept, and these are things that we have to research more is is a depletion of different nutrients, such as sugar or amino acids, that actually affects the ability of immune cells to fight off the tumors, or there are metabolites that are made in that tumor microenvironment that actually impede immune function. 
So there's been a lot of work recently about lactate, which is a byproduct of sugar fermentation by tumor cells. If that gets spit out into the tumor microenvironment, it can have some immune suppressive really? capabilities. Yeah, absolutely. Some of our research is really trying to better understand this environment, uh, but as well to see if we can actually tweak the metabolism of infiltrating T cells such that they can either withstand or survive or thrive within this type of tumor microenvironment to better compete and, and outcompete tumor cells. So I think Rusty brings up a really good point about microenvironment. And the unique thing about immune cells is they travel all over the body. So they encounter many environments, whereas a lot of other cells stay within their microenvironment. And so I think for a while we underestimated the the ability of the immune cells to adapt metabolically. And so I think metabolic reprogramming is is very important for us to understand. As that T cell goes into the tumor microenvironment, it may find itself in a situation where there is lactate around and no glucose, but then it goes back into the blood and, and there's abundant glucose. And then if it if it circulates through the bone marrow, there's no oxygen. Right. But in the lung, there's oxygen. And so there's a lot of different environments the immune system can encounter. And I think a key to their function must be that they can adapt they to the environment. They must be plastic in they some must way. Be. But that also means that the environment they're in will affect them. So what happens in chronic inflammation? What happens in obesity? What happens in chronic diseases where the microenvironment might be changed a little bit? And so that must affect the way the cells function. Yeah, so if you want to think about it, we've been all very focused on cellular metabolism. That is, what are the metabolic pathways engaged by cells as they undergo their function? But as Connie pointed out, I think the next vista is really trying to understand how that environment impacts it. So understanding the organismal metabolic state over the course of an infection or when you have cancer is really important because that will dictate the types of resources that these cells will have. In a study we conducted a few years ago now, we found that a subclass of lung tumor cells, highly glycolytic, so they're really using sugar for their metabolism, you suddenly take away that sugar and now they can make their own. Wow. Right? So, and this is... Again, uh, this concept of metabolic plasticity that these tumor cells now, when they don't have sugar, can actually take other resources. In the case that we were studying, we were looking at the amino acid glutamine. And now they could take glutamine and through a series of metabolic transformations, convert this into the intermediates in the glycolytic pathway to build things like nucleotides that they need to divide. Where normally, if there's lots of sugar around, they don't do that. And so there's this concept that tumor cells can be very plastic, also makes them very hard to target. Right, right. right. Well, what we found is that T cells are exactly the same. So a really interesting study, we've been looking a lot at serine metabolism. Serine's an amino acid that's uh, really important for what is a pathway called one carbon metabolism, which is involved in making nucleotide. If you take away serine from a T cell, they'll now start to actually take glucose, make serine. So they divert their resources from a different pathway to make nucleotides. What are the kinds of technologies that you're employing to address these scientific questions? And what are some of the things that you like about those technologies? And, you know, what are the things that you think you'd like to do a little bit differently? So for epigenetic studies, it was really key for me to, to join the Van Andel Research Institute. I think that here I have an opportunity to work with world-leading experts that have 
developed key techniques to really look at genome-wide epigenetic studies and do really functional and useful analysis of the, the amount of data you get back, right? You get a lot of data. And so with Andrew Pospisilic, who has joined the Nutrition and, and Metabolism Group, we're using a technique he developed to pool samples together for ChIP-seq, for chromatin IP-seq. So we can pull down different chromatin marks and not be limited by cell number. So one of the major limitations for studying immune cells is just the cell number, right? Is yeah. you just don't get a lot of material. There aren't cell lines that we can use. The cell lines, they don't reflect the real biology of the cells. And I think another major challenge is that, as we just spoke about, the cells adapt. So if you take them out and culture them in tissue culture for any amount of time, they adapt to the new culture conditions. And so and so we really have to get them directly ex vivo. And you so you kind of have to sample cells in their environments to really get an idea of what's going on. Exactly. And so by having these technologies here and up and running and used by the faculty here, it's it, we have the opportunity to ask some really exciting questions and and use these technologies to look at immune cells in their in their naive state. I think understanding cells at the at the single cell level, especially immune cells, right? You look at a slide of infiltrating T cells and you know, at first we just look for T cell presence and now we know we need to know, are they in the stroma? Are they in the tumor? Are they outside the environment? Where are they? So positioning of the immune cells tells us a lot about what's going on in the body. And so I think as these technologies, these single cell technologies evolve, we will be able to ask a lot of very interesting questions. Rusty, for you, what kind of approaches are you using in your lab? Yeah, well, I would say that the the number one approach that we've uh, we and others in, in the field have really uh, that's revolutionized our field is the use of metabolomics and applying this to to uh, immunological and cancer biology systems. And really, what metabolomics just is it's the study of small molecules. And so we use sort of the core technologies we use for this is uh, mass spectrometry, which allows us to very accurately measure chemicals uh, based on their mass. And so what we typically do is we use a combination of chromatography, so either gas or liquid chromatography, coupled to mass spectrometry to study small molecules uh, that we isolate from cells or tissues. And so what the chromatography does is it separates small compounds based on their chemical nature. So for example, small molecule metabolites such as lactate or citrate or, or, or uh, amino acids all become separated based on their chemical uh, nature and then we can assess their accurate mass to quantify the amount of this particular metabolite. So I always talk about metabolomics. It's like any other omics technology, it's counting, right? So right. <laughs> you're counting the number of molecules of lactate or of citrate that are in a system. The fate of that citrate is very important. And so what we use with stable isotopes, and we often call this C13 tracing, will give a cell something like uh, C13 glucose, which is just like normal glucose, except it's heavier. And then we can see how this glucose is processed into different intermediates. So you can kind of follow it follow all it. along it's the like, pathway. Exactly. It's like leaving the breadcrumbs, so to speak, right. uh, on the trail. And basically, we use the mass spectrometry aspect to find out how much of these different intermediates are made from the original glucose molecule by assessing the ones that are of heavier mass. And so this has allowed us to really sort of map out metabolic pathways in cells. And then now we can go back and take our genetic tools, such as CRISPR, to intervene, block pathways, enable pathways. How does that then change the biology? 
understanding the metabolic nature of the tumor or the immune cell is another level of understanding in addition to genomics and epigenetics. And right. it's really important for understanding how things respond. I'm sitting here in this institute and it's, it's really clear that the institute's made a, a really important investment in this program in, you know, allowing you to build a team to understand metabolism from the perspective of immunology and cancer. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement about the future, but for each of you, what is the thing that excites you the most about the future areas in this work? Where do you think that immunology and cancer biology, where do you think those things, in terms of metabolism, where do you see the field moving in the next five years? I think there's almost an infinite number of possibilities of where the field is going. It's, it's really at its infancy, what I would classify as uh, immunometabolism. And so maybe just to highlight a few things, we've tended to always think about metabolites and metabolism is making energy, making products. And I think that, um, as Connie alluded to a bit earlier, there's an understanding now that metabolites themselves can actually influence gene expression. So acetyl-CoA and, and S-adenosylmethionine are really the molecules that get deposited down on histones and DNA when you have epigenetic modification. So it's really sort of understanding how metabolic flux that produces these metabolites influences gene expression. And on the other side, I would say we really know very little about metabolites as signaling molecules themselves, both intracellularly but also extracellularly. We tend to think in the immune system of cytokines delivering messages. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. But there's emerging evidence that metabolites produced by cells uh, can actually function in this concept. And then, as I mentioned, really understanding how metabolites are processed by cells in the natural environment. So as a, an immune cell is fighting off an infection at different stages, how does the organismal metabolism influence that? And so we can use in vivo methods of studying metabolism to really get at those questions. That obviously begs the question, if the environment influences immune function or cancer growth, can you influence this by drugs, pharmaceuticals, to influence organismal metabolism? Or can diet and nutrition also have an impact on this? What's exciting about the program here at Van Andel is the collaborative effort. So one of the reasons we joined the Institute was the opportunity to work with great minds, very intelligent people that were still humble, right? And still down to earth and, and driven to do good science. And I think innovation really happens when you bring different expertise to the table and everybody uses their expertise collectively to solve a problem. And everyone's open. And everybody's open, exactly. And so, of course, Van Andel... Um, Institute has the goal to improve human health, but they also understand that you have to build that on good science. And we have that opportunity with all the, the people we've, we've brought in. I like to see, you know, science as, you know, when you build a puzzle without knowing what the picture is. And so I'm excited about that opportunity to build out those pieces and figure out what they are and see how we can use them or manipulate them to offer different diagnoses or, or diagnostics to see if we can discover new aspects of, say, inflammation that will provide us information about disease outcome or treatment strategies or other ways we can impact human health through drug development. Well, Rusty and Connie, you know, thank you so much for sitting down with me and, and talking about this really interesting topic. I mean, I'm walking away really having a renewed sense of how important it is to understand how metabolism and the immune system and cellular growth in terms of cancer, how these things are all interrelated. Thank you very much for talking with me on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. 
So cellular metabolites can be used to make energy or cellular products. But scientists are now learning how metabolism and metabolites can also influence gene expression. The combination of epigenomic and metabolomic approaches have helped scientists to understand immune cell metabolism and function and how immunometabolism might impact human diseases like cancer. If you're interested in learning more about immunometabolism research at the Van Andel, visit russelljoneslab.vai.org. And hey, if you like today's show, how about subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts? Or you can ask for our show from Siri, Alexa, or your Google Assistant. Just say, play the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Amy Ralston, professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Michigan State University. We'll be discussing the use of genome-wide approaches to study human stem cell biology right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast.